Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Thanks for listening to the Washington Post Live podcast. We're grateful to have you as a listener, and we want to learn more about your listening habits and how we can serve you better. We're running a survey, and Wednesday, August 10th, is your last chance to share your thoughts and enter a sweepstakes to win a $100 gift card. It shouldn't take much more than five minutes to complete. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash podcast survey. That's WashingtonPost.com slash podcast survey. Thank you for listening. And now, back to the Washington Post Live podcast. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Good afternoon. I'm Jonathan K. Part, associate editor at the Washington Post, and welcome to Washington Post Live in another in our series on race in America, co-produced with the K. Part podcast. When Michaela J. Rodriguez was growing up, she said there was no LGBTQ plus representation in the media. Today, the out trans actress is at the forefront of that representation, becoming the first out trans actress to win a Golden Globe and the first to receive an Emmy nomination for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series, both for her role as Blanca Evangelista in the FX series Pose. But there is so much more to discuss. So joining me now is Michaela J. Rodriguez. Welcome to Washington Post Live. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. It is great. It is great to see you again. Uh, we we talked earlier this year, but we'll get into the the meat of what that whole conversation was about later. I don't want to give give away too much. Our connection. Let's let's start with the here and now. Um, you are in the new Apple TV Plus series called Loot. You play Sophia Salinas, who, as we saw in the clip leading into this, is she's tough. Um, uh, a hard ass. Let's just say I've I've watched some of this some of the episodes. She is a hard ass. Tell, tell us more about her. She definitely is. So Sophia, she is uh, the COO to Molly Wells, Molly Molly Nafak, um, Novak, excuse me, and she is this starchy kind of character, this very straight laced character who loosens up down the line due to Molly's influence and her free-spiritedness. Also, Sophia is this driven um, activist, but also driven, hardworking woman who wants to climb the ladder, the, the corporate ladder, to make sure she can, you know, uh, help people when it comes to this foundation. And I love playing her. I love that she's this kind of like, you know, very strict, no games, no nonsense kind of woman. I'm not like that. Michaela J is not like that. So See, it's fun. I was, about to, <laughs> I was about to ask, you're not like that at all. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so the lead of the series, um, you just mentioned Molly Novak. Uh, she's a tech mogul's uh, soon to be ex-wife. Uh, actually, yeah, ex-wife, not soon to be, the ex-wife, uh, played by Maya Rudolph of Saturday Night Live and especially Bridesmaids fame. Here's the two of you in action. Knock, knock. Hi. Oh, hello. Sofia Salinas. Hi, Molly. So nice to meet you. Thank you for coming in. Yeah. Oh, 
that's my name. What are they thanking me for? Oh, I'm really proud of that. That's an after-school program we funded for at-risk kids. What are they at risk for, being too damn cute? <laughs> no, gang violence. Right. Right. Well, you guys do a lot of stuff like this, huh? Yes. Uh, we funnel your money to different charities in Southern California, give them the resources they need to do good work, and try to draw attention to people in need. Well, those two look really messed up. I hope we help them. Those are my grandparents. And they're beautiful. So uh, tomorrow we have a ribbon cutting ceremony for a new shelter downtown that we've been working on for years. And that's actually the reason I called you in today, to remind you that your behavior does reflect on us as an organization, which makes our job harder. And what exactly do you mean by my behavior? Look. I'm not trying to shame a girl for having a good time, especially after what happened. You do you, but you can't go traveling around the world getting on the news for falling into swimming pools. Lots of people fall into swimming pools all the time. Yeah, but they don't then get out and try to give the waiter a lap dance. In my defense, I really did think it was Sting. They have this same hairline when you're on drugs. I love that. I really thought he looked like Sting. Uh, um, you talked a bit about the relationship between between Molly and Sophia, but what we also see in that clip is sort of a clash of wealth and class. And later on in the series, you see also also gender. Talk more about the confluence of all of those things in Loot. I think the most important thing when it comes to Molly specifically is that, like you said, she just got out of a strenuous, you know, divorce and due to his wrongdoings. And she's trying to find a space and level of finding herself not only as a woman again, but a businesswoman and a person in control to make change. And I think that's when she comes into um Meeting, I was going to say conflict. It's kind of the best kind of conflict. It's like oil and vinegar kind of conflict, which is great because it's tasty. But um, she <laughs> runs into this woman, Sophia. And I think that's where the understanding of gender and placement and power in those positions comes come into play. Um, she sees a woman, Sophia, who is striving and working hard to get to where she needs to be. And I think she understands that plight simply as a woman in the workspace trying to move ahead and make her stamp. Um, I think also the the play on position and privilege, Molly Novak, AKA Wells, she comes from a high position of privilege, but I think that gets knocked down a little bit when she gets to see Sophia and also experiencing her, her um, divorce. So they're really kind of good, kind of like uh, uh, even planes to play with, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the other thing is you don't you don't get the sense of that in, in in the clip that we just saw just how wealthy Molly is. I mean, she's all she's turned out. That outfit is is super fly. Her, her hair is banging. The jewel the jewelry is great. But when yeah. you watch the series, Sister Girl lives in this fabulous house. She has her own what. Would in normal circumstances like a commercial jet. Yeah. So there she are extremes. This isn't just a wealthy lady. This is, she's a multi billionaire. Yes. Yes. 87 million, excuse me, billion. How dare I? $87 billion was gifted to her. Well, might as well be gifted if it's that much money, but given to her after the divorce. So this is a woman who's coming to extreme power 
with having that money. And it, the question is always asked, what would you do with that money if you were in that position? And I think Molly throughout the season and with the help of the ensemble, especially Sophia being her COO, you know, her secondhand and position really tailors her and creates Molly to be this woman of understanding, even though she's already been, but possibly lost it due to being in a marriage that was so specific and significant. Mm -hmm. Well, let's stop talking about Molly and let's talk about you and not your yes. character, but you, because we have a, yeah. we have an audience question. Um, this mm -hmm. one comes from New York from Anuradha Sharma McGee asking, I love your roles in Pose and now the wonderful comedy Loot. When, when you are considering a new role, which, which roles are you more drawn to, drama or comedy? Are the roles you're being offered mostly well-written with respect, with respect and thoughtfulness of your experiences as a transgender woman? Oh, yes. Okay, so the first part of that question, I will say I am a drama girl through and through. Um, I love, I just love having people relate on a very serious kind of like term and getting to understand the struggles of other people. And I like also putting myself in the shoes to get an understanding. Also, if I've been through it, I like being able to be a part of a script that actually, you know, um, expresses that. I love comedy. I love all types of films. So when it comes to the craft, I'm going to make sure I do my job as much as I can to, you know, execute the characters that I get. But drama is my thing. And yes, I think there's a lot of integrity that comes with writing when it comes to me. And hopefully that precedent is set down the line for other girls like myself. Um, and it's just dignity and respect and also creativity. I think that's what comes with just art in general and this industry in general. Um, and when all of those three is kind of like come together, it makes a beautiful space to work in. And I have to say, alongside Pose, Loot has been a really good space to work in alongside the people who I work with. Um, I'm thankful. So yes, I hope I answered that question. Oh, no, no, you, you you did. And another role that I was I was surprised to see you only because I'm talking about a black lady sketch show. Oh my god! Um, I think it was the first the first episode of the newest season where it's like a big hair care product re uh, return, sort of like yes. of the purge. And you are in charge. You are in charge of this one store, <laughs> this store, and you put them through it. Listen, I feel like you know. There's always that that girl at the the front desk. That's the clerk. That's like, listen, I've been working here for hours, and y'all coming up in here taking all this time. I'm gonna give y'all a hard time too. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna channel that person that I've seen. You know, who has I've watched because I'm I was always a bystander. You know, I was always somebody who was just watching. I was never a part of the group. And I will watch and say, oh, wow, that's a character choice. Taking note off of that. Don't put that in my pocket. <laughs> well, I mean, it was it was fantastic when you turn the sign that, that goes from, you know, on break to off break and everyone's trying to jump. And, and you had there's such glee in your face and the character's face. <laughs> they really loved it. Can I tell you, there was a direction that said, hey, MJ, can you possibly like, you know, like, like, you know, like a spinning board or like a DJ, can you do that? I said, oh yeah, I can definitely do that. And that's, that's how that came about. And I was really happy. Actually, that's what made it really funny because you were like this. <laughs> <laughs> the little turn that she gave. Like a spin in the, spin in the turntable. Um, you, you, Michaela Shea, you, you've said, uh, quote, mm -hmm. I'm all I'm going to always have Blanca on my shoulder everywhere I go. 
What is it about Blanca Evangelista that continues to stay with you? Well, I mean, when I mentioned Blanca, the creation of her by Stephen Canals was obviously an amazing creation, but I put a lot of my mother into her. So I keep Blanca on my shoulder to give some kind of understanding of myself, but also relate back to the person who was instilled to me, uh, instilled in me grace. Um, and that's what Blanca has. She has grace. There's a lot that goes on in this crazy world that we live in. And even as a human being myself who has all flaws and who can do good and things that could possibly be bad, you know, I like to think of the medium ground of grace and having grace for someone. And Blanca did that. She was stern when she needed to be. She was loving when she needed to be. She was graceful when she needed to be. And that was what made her her beautiful, loving self. And I thought that, you know, why not keep a piece of that on my shoulder? I like to think that I have some of that. Um, but Blanca was, yeah, she was a huge part of my life as far as developing and learning from her while on that show and outside of the show. So that's why I keep her on my show. Mm -hmm. I, I mentioned this quote in the intro, but let me read it in full. You said, quote, when I was younger, I didn't have representation for anyone of color in the LGBTQI community. Now I want to be the example. I want to show them that it's possible. Talk more about why that's so important to you. It's so important. I mean, you know, I look back in a time where trans women weren't even just notified. I mean, even in a time now where, you know, I feel like we have so many understandings, <clears throat> excuse me, so many understandings of the LGBTQAI community. There's still this kind of like line that's kind of muddy between the trans community. And the reason why is because there's not a lot of explanation on our lives as trans women. You know, I mean, you have trans people, you have trans men, you have trans women, you have the L, the G, the G and the B and the T. And when you don't have those um, representations or if you don't have that explanation of that, then no one's gonna understand it and they're gonna make simple mistakes all the time. And that's what I wanna alleviate. I want those mistakes to be alleviated. I want those um, questions that they've always had to be released and simply watching the work that I do and also people doing the work while watching my work or any other trans woman's work through crafts and creativity to really be educated on that. I think that's why it's important. And since I didn't have that when I was younger, it created more space for people to make mistakes that didn't need to be made, right? And now we have a plethora of not only just women of color, but trans women of color explaining and showing the understandings of our lives, not just our struggle, you know, with a show like Pose that gave a good um, example of what struggle looks like for the trans woman who doesn't have it and who has, to, who has to survive. But now for women and trans women who are actually living, what are the ramifications of that? How do you respect that? You have to see it and you have to understand it. And you have to also know that it's not um, imposing nor is it a threat. Um, we are just here and existing like how we want to exist and how we deserve to be. So that's what representation for me meant and how important it is for now. now you came out as transgender at, at the age of 24 and you've said you had family members who supported you, but mm -hmm. how did you navigate that outside world? It's one thing to have the support of, of family, but when you go outside the doors of your home, you got to deal with the rest of the world. How'd you do it? Well, believe it or not, like I didn't come out at 24. I mean, the oh. world yep, has believed 
that I came out at 24, but I didn't. Um, I was seven years old and I had an understanding of myself as just a feminine body creature. And I didn't tie myself to um, pronouns at that time. I mean, the world did. And I feel mm. like that's what my parents did due to what they thought and how I identified, but that wasn't the case for me. And um, I felt like when I let the world know who I am, it wasn't a coming out story. It was just a, oh, this has been me and this is me clarifying to you guys, like this is who I've always been. Huh. Um, I thought it was important though, because there are so many people who don't even have that understanding of themselves who can't explain it in that way um, and say, oh, this is how I've always been living, but it was just the world having to catch up to me and really understand how I've always been and how I've moved through the world and um, not trying to construct me into this mold that they think I should be in. Um, it was until when I hit 24, 25, that I was able to explain like how I needed to explain seven years old, probably wouldn't be able to explain it. Probably would just no. be able to say, hey, I'm a girl. And probably my parents would be like, oh, okay. Or 17 years old at a teen year where in, in 2004, where trans vocabulary wasn't even a thought. But at 24 years old in the, the early 2000s, but long enough down the line for people to really understand, I thought people should know and people should understand. And the questions that they were asking me before I had, had even let them know solidified it for them. Um, so yeah, I, I guess it was just a, a transcendent story. I don't think it was a coming out story for me though. I try like to, I, you know, to change that narrative for myself too, if I can. Oh no, I, I, I love your, your, your reaction to, um, to my question and your answer. Because, you know, it, it's interesting. You know, I've known since I was seven. I just didn't have the vocabulary and let y'all do what you were going to do until I was ready to tell you with the language that I have. So, Michaela J., we got to go back to the beginning because here's something that um, folks watching don't know. We were mm -hmm. both born and raised in Newark. Yep. Decades apart, not the same time. I'm older, but... Um, you went to Arts High School, which is right across the street from St. Benedict's Prep. That's right. Um, which is St. Benedict's. Sorry. That's right. Which is right across the street. So Arts High, for folks who are watching, that was the school where all the cool kids went. The folks who were in well, in the arts and music, drama, like Michaela. Um, what drew you to to the arts? Well. Naturally, I was always a dramatic kid, always falling out and standing all over the place and creating skits and singing and too much energy to be bottled up. And my mom was like, we need to put you in. We need to put you somewhere where we can contain this. So moving on down the line, I go to a performing arts school called um, New Jersey Performing Arts Center, SYPW at 11. Grow up, hit the age of 14. I go to a, a school, uh, a Catholic school called Queen of Angels, which I pride myself now that I got to go to school called Queen of Angels. Makes sense. <laughs> um, and when I hit 14 years old, believe it or not, the women of that Catholic church, it was all run by women. Really never saw a man there, which I was like, this makes me feel even more comfortable. Black women at that. Um, my vice principal and my uh, principal at that time, Miss Hay, I can't remember the other woman's name, she would kill me. But she said she needs to be in a performing arts school. And I know a couple of students that are here that should go. I told my mother this. 
And my mother was like, oh, I had already known about this. My best friend of blah, 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 years, she went. So that's how it kind of got like thrown at me. And then when I heard about it as a 14, 13 year old child, I'm like, oh, please let me go. At least I'll be able to do something that I love to do and also do academics. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. And so then fast forward, you graduate from Arts High um, and then you land in probably one of the one of the biggest off-Broadway um, hits called Rent. Um, this was when you were in your 20s. You played Angel. What did you yes. take from that role? I took a lot from the character Angel. I took so much, so, so many learning experiences. My mom had given me like kind of a rundown course of what HIV and AIDS was like in that time in 1991, let alone 1987. And she had friends who had passed, dropped like flies, disappeared from this earth that shouldn't have disappeared. And she gave me so much insight on what it was like. So when I went in the angel, I had already known what I was getting involved with, but the character herself, who was filled with light and joy and love and nurturing, but also has to deal with this cumbersome disease we all know as HIV and AIDS, it drew me to her, it made me realize, oh, this character alone knows what her purpose is on this earth. She knows she has a limited amount of time and she wants to execute it, every single positive thing that she can do, no matter the turmoil, no matter what is what kind of pushback she gets, she's going to supersede. And I was like, I wanna be that. And um, not to mention, she resonated with me. She was me, I was her, um, aside from, having HIV and AIDS, our personalities and everything just really matched up. And I was like, you know what, this is a character that a lot of young folks need to see who has love, but is also confident in themselves to be who they are and also influence their friends who are outside of the LGBTQI community to be who they are. Like, yes, I need to be a part of this. And I was so thankful. I got to work with almost all of the original um, production, the director, the producers, almost everyone, the music director, all of the original. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've got less than, than 10 minutes left. I'm just, I'm, I'm wondering, Michaela, no, no, you're not talking a lot at all. No, what we need is an hour. That's what we need. <laughs> That's what I'm we need. You're not talking long. Um, so look, we're at a time now in this country when, you know, the T in LGBT is, out and loud. And I remember when there were articles written about how the T was silent. Mm-hmm. And so now we've got um, not just uh, out transgender, uh, trans actresses like you, but all across this country, we've got young people who are coming out as trans or non-binary at ages that are, you know, to, you know, when I came out in the 80s at age 20 something, or in the, well, in the late 80s, as Mm -hmm. 20-something, the idea that someone, a a kid, could come out as trans at the age of six or seven was just not even something that I could contemplate. And I'm just Mm -hmm. wondering your advice to families who have a child or teen who's coming out as transgender or non-binary, and what is your advice to that child or teen? Okay, perfect. I can answer both of those, I would say when it comes to a parent or family members who 
have just come into understanding their their child as being either LGB or specifically trans or gender nonconforming. It's very simple. It's to love them. Love them unconditionally, protect them, make sure that they are safe. Put them in a space where they feel comfortable and safe. Make sure that they have friends around them who are also LGBTQAI and straight who understand them so that they can grow in an environment that is diverse and understanding so that when they grow older and when their friends grow older, there will be a safety net for them as a trans or gender non-conforming individual. Um, that's for the families and also for the LGBTQAI house families too, because it goes across the board. You know, it just doesn't hit with biological families. It's um, people who are displaced, young individuals who are displaced and who have to find their families. There's a job on their end to um, complete. And I think as a mother or a father or a guardian, you should instill those things with them too. Now, when it comes to the child or the teen, don't move too quickly because this life is uh, 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 it's you have a lot of time, <laughs> but also stay confident and love yourself and receive the love from people that you truly know have your best interests at heart regarding your safety and your heart as a person who is obviously a part of a minority, but who also is going to probably endure a lot of struggle due to you being so confident in knowing yourself. Always stay true to you and never let anyone tell you not to be who you are. That's most of the time their deflection on what they're probably dealing with themselves. And yes, unfortunately, it does come from family members who are biological, but there is also a space for you to find love and another family who may not be a biological family. There's also chosen family. So mm -hmm. there needs to be a safety net and an understanding that there is security and you can find it as the youth, but there's also people looking for you too to make sure that you're protected. That's my main goal is to make sure that they are protected. So, th so then, um, I, given what you said, I would love to get your reaction to state legislatures that are passing these laws, uh, like the, the so-called Don't Say Gay Bill in Florida, where those safe spaces in classrooms and schools are disappearing. You know, Texas mm -hmm. is, you know, not very hus hospitable. So your reaction to what seems to be flying in the face of your common sense advice? Mm -hmm. I would say push back, go against it. And that's something that I'm not afraid to say because usually when there's pushback, um, there's change. We had the BLM movement and it created change. And though it came with its problems, there was still change that happened. And though I wouldn't consider this um, similar to the BLM movement, this is still a movement when it comes to our lives and our safety. And um, the most important thing is for us to put ourselves and put ourselves in places that we know are safe, but also to push back against the people who are trying to take away um, our existence. Cause that's what it pretty much is. It's like erasing the understanding of LGBTQAI history, you know, um, push back and don't be afraid to do it. I think that's what 
these state legislators want is for you to be in fear and to be afraid, but don't be afraid. Live who mm -hmm. you are. Never let anyone tell you how to live your life and make sure you live a positive, happy, and fruitful life. You know, I mean, I always believe in karma. Bad things come to you if you do bad things. If you're doing good things and you're being yourself, there shouldn't be any good, I mean, bad things coming your way. So um, yeah, push back against these legislators. Kind of wicked what they're doing. But I think more than anything, it's because the community, especially the T in the community, is winning. And usually when someone is doing a good job or thriving and striving, without confrontation, there's always some chaos met with that. And I've been used to that. So I'm just like, okay, well, you guys can't handle it. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep living. <laughs> Thank you for your input. <laughs> But we're going to keep thriving, and I'm not going to stop until I die. So, Well, speaking of stopping, we have to stop. Activists, oh, darn. I know. We're already done. Activist, actress, also singer. Um, you had a debut single out, Something to Say, last year. You've got an album in the works that, that's coming out. Just when's it coming out? Just give me a date. <gasps> okay, so, I mean, I'm hoping it comes out maybe next month oh, at the, so the end of August maybe who knows but we don't know just yet because we're still working on something okay activist actress yep go ahead but it should be coming out very soon we have a lot of songs done and we're just trying to make sure we do this right you know so and I can tell you're you're very excited about it okay for the third time activist actress singer and my Newark homegirl, Michaela J. Rodriguez. Thank you so much for coming to K-Part on Washington Post Live. Of course, it's always good talking to you. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.